I've been walking around holding and promoting a mistaken belief that there's no one right way to grieve. Well, it turns out that there are rules to grieving and that those rules might pressure us into grieving in a way that doesn't align with our feelings, or the grief rules may tell us that we don't have a right to grieve. This is especially true when it comes to losses in the professional realm. Hey everyone, I'm Laverne McKinnon, and welcome to the Moonshot Mentor Blogcast, where I provide tools and insights to support your career growth, including the importance of grief work. Unprocessed grief leads to a loss of resiliency. Resiliency is a critical element to long-term career success. Long-term career success leads to financial stability and fulfillment. So that's why I'm both a career coach and a certified grief recovery specialist. In this week's blogcast, I offer a public apology for my mistake, which I learned about from reading the work of bereavement expert Kenneth Doka. I also offer up questions to help you unpack the rules you may be consciously or unconsciously living by when it comes to grief. So are there grief rules? The short answer is yes and no. I've done you a disservice and I apologize. Throughout my blogs over the last year or so, I've sent a message that there's no one right way to grieve. And I think that statement has caused harm because it's not exactly true. There actually are grief rules, and they come from our families, our culture, our community, our religion, and other social constructs. Grief rules can be spoken or unspoken. However, just because it's a rule, it doesn't mean it's entirely right for you or reflects the entirety of your experience with grief. So it's important to understand what your understanding is of the grief rules you might be holding, either consciously or unconsciously, so that you can get the support you need or course correct. When my mom died, it was the first profound loss in my life. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and the thought of being in a hospital away from the comfort of her own bed was horrible for her. We were able to arrange for hospice, and I was with her during her last 36 hours. I thought a lot about what I might experience when she was gone. I knew I would be devastated, and I knew we would have a memorial service. There are a lot of things I didn't know, though. Like, the morning she died, after her body was taken away to be cremated, my dad took me, my brother, my sister, and my sister-in-law out to breakfast. That felt weird to me, but maybe that's part of the process of saying goodbye. I also didn't really understand my sudden obsession with reading romance novels. Was that also part of the mourning process? The biggest confusion was how eight days after my mom died, I was back at work in my job as a Hollywood assistant. HR had called to ask how much time I needed and when I would be back. How was I supposed to know? So I said I would be back after the memorial service. Assuming I would feel better after that? Nope. At my little cubby, I would spontaneously burst into tears at not-so-great times. I think it made my boss uncomfortable, even though he seemed like a compassionate person. There was this unspoken rule that I had my week to grieve, and I should be ready to get back to business and to keep my feelings to myself. Back in 1988, my pug Phoebe disappeared from the driveway of our house in Laurel Canyon. My husband was inside and heard a yelp, and then she was gone. We put up hundreds of lost and found posters, offered up a $2,500 reward, placed flyers in mailboxes, although I do know now that that's actually illegal to do. 
We consulted with a psychic and drove around in concentric circles, calling out for her. There was no validation of the loss like I had with the memorial service for my mom. There were some nice folks who would inquire about Phoebe, but we had no idea what happened. Was she stolen? Was she lost? Was she eaten by coyotes? It was difficult for people to know what to say when there wasn't clarity on what happened. The unspoken rule seemed to be that I should keep my grief to myself because I didn't have answers. I've written about and spoken about being fired from my job at CBS after working there for 10 years and the debilitating grief I felt from that experience of being fired. The unspoken rule around job loss is not to say anything or to fib about the circumstances. Otherwise, you may be perceived as unhirable. For years, I didn't even know I was grieving because no one acknowledged that there could be grief from job loss. The truth is, they didn't know either. To understand grief rules, it's important to first understand the term for grief that is not openly acknowledged, socially validated, or publicly mourned. It's called disenfranchised grief, and it was coined by bereavement expert Kenneth Doka in 1989. There are different rules for different losses, and when a loss isn't actually seen as a loss, aka disenfranchised grief, it makes understanding, let alone following, the rules impossible. Doka has also researched and written about grief rules. He says that the concept of disenfranchised grief recognizes that societies have sets of norms, in effect grieving rules, that attempt to specify who, when, where, how long, and for whom people should grieve. These norms, aka grief rules, put tremendous pressure on grievers to get it right for fear of being judged, ostracized, mocked, or thought of as less than. Specifically in the professional realm, publicly grieving can profoundly impact one's belonging if it doesn't meet with the grieving norms of the organization or the industry. Think about that for another moment. A. You've experienced a loss. Say being fired, downsized, laid off, or a passion project hasn't been well received or seen the light of day, or you've been passed over for a coveted promotion. You feel sad. B. You have no clue that this sadness is grief. Now, a quick caveat here. Not all sadness is grief. Grief is the response to a significant loss. Not all losses are significant. It really depends on the depth of the individual's attachment. C. You can't shake off the feelings of grief, in great part because you don't even know you're grieving because there's no acknowledgement of it. D. Let's say you figure out that you are grieving, but you're not being acknowledged or validated in your grief. You don't have permission to mourn. E. How might that affect your sense of belonging? your ability to move forward, your passion, your drive, your self-esteem. It affects it profoundly. So I apologize for the disservice of saying that there's no one right way to grieve, because it's not true. Social constructs tell us that there is a right way to grieve, or that you can't grieve at all because your loss is not recognized. Consider the following contradictions that my clients have shared with me. Their names have been changed to protect confidentiality. The first, family upbringing dictates one way to mourn and community dictates another. Eliza says, In my family, it was a sign of love and respect to cry big at the funeral. The louder, the better. 
but then my friends looked at me like I was crazy for being loud when my favorite aunt died. Example number two, a company and an employee define authenticity differently, especially as it relates to grief. This is from John. This company I was interviewing for, it was just a small production house, said that authenticity was really important. They didn't want people to pretend to be something they weren't. Well, I got the job and it was going great until a few months later, my dad suddenly passed and I brought a tiny little urn of his ashes in to sit on my desk. People looked at me like I smelled really bad. That was really hurtful. It wasn't like I was walking around boohooing all the time. It was just my way of keeping pops close. Another example. Failure is an integral part of the entertainment industry culture, which is reflected in an unspoken rule of how quickly one should bounce back. This is from Richard. After my pilot didn't get picked up, I got a flurry of calls and texts and emails saying how it really sucked that that had happened, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was great that people reached out, but then a month later, I was still feeling really shitty, and all anyone wanted to know was what I was working on or to shit on the shitty network, which I was happy to do, but I was feeling super bummed out and talking shit or what was next wasn't really helping. It was like, time to move on, buddy. Walk it off. I just didn't have it in me. I think there's something wrong with me. I was challenged to write this blog when I was doing research for the five-part imposter syndrome series I wrote in August. I had come across this Harvard Business Review piece, Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome, by Ruchika Tilshin and Jody Amburi. They posit, and I agree, that feeling like an outsider isn't an illusion. It's the result of systemic bias and exclusion. So when Kenneth Doka says that grief rules are society's attempt to specify who, when, where, how long, and for whom people should grieve, my hackles go up. It's time to question industry, business, corporate, social, and cultural norms as opposed to ourselves. If you've experienced a significant loss, you don't need permission to grieve. That being said, I know it helps sometimes for someone you trust to give you permission as a way to validate your intuition and feelings. My wish for you is that you get that permission from your inner circle or a mentor. Don't listen to what you think are the grief rules that you are required to follow. A few questions to help you unpack the grief rules you may be living with. How was death spoken about and treated in your family? When someone died, what were the rituals that occurred, if any? Did you have a pet when you were growing up? When the pet passed, what happened? How did you feel? What was the response to those feelings? What are other times when you experienced a significant loss? How do you feel about those losses? Is there judgment or shame around them? How were those losses acknowledged and validated by you and others? How did you mourn, if at all? What is your relationship with those losses today? Grief in my family was not spoken about or even acknowledged. We were a family that prized stoicism. There was no special consideration when my beloved hamsters died. When my sister married and moved out, I was heartbroken and didn't understand that I was experiencing the loss of our relationship as I knew it. The unspoken rule was, it's not like someone close to you has died. But then when my mom died, I didn't know how to grieve other than showing up at the memorial service. 
Rules around grief do exist and can be spoken or unspoken. As a gift to yourself, consider what you believe about grief and the proper way to mourn, and then open yourself up to the possibility that there is no one right way to grieve, and no one has the right to dictate who, when, where, how long, and for whom people should grieve. I'd really love to hear your thoughts, so please drop me a comment. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Your subscription helps me continue to provide tools and insights to support your career growth, including the importance of grief work. And if you want to work with me, I offer private coaching sessions as well as in-person and virtual group work. You can reach out to LavernMcKinnon.com to set up a complimentary consultation. I'll see you next week.